Logo Geeks, it's Ian Padgett here and I'm back with another podcast that's created to help you make a living designing logos. Today we're going to be joined by Massimo Zeffirino to discuss designing for B2B companies. But before diving into that, I want to give a shout out to the sponsor of this episode, which is The Perfect Match. One exercise that a lot of logo designers do prior to uh, working on a logo or brand identity is to create a mood board or a stylescape. And when creating this, we're usually translating words or phrases into visuals. So I'm expecting a lot of people listening to this to create mood boards, you know, pretty much week to week. But how good are you at translating words into visuals for these mood boards. And that's where the perfect match comes in. It's a creative challenge from Adobe that will test your mood board design skills. So by creating a mood board and submitting it into the perfect match, you will be gifted with a $50 voucher. So it's worth 30 minutes of your time to create one. But if your mood board design is really good and communicates clearly, you could become a contestant on Adobe's monthly live game show for a chance to win $1,000. If you want to enter, grab a brief from theperfectmatch.co forward slash play, then create your mood board following the rules provided and submit it. And as a reminder, you will get $50 just for entering. So it's pretty much win-win every time. So again, to go and check that out, head to theperfectmatch.co slash play. So moving on to this week's interview, a month or so back, I received an email from a guy called Massimo Zeffirino, who is one of the co-hosts of the Angry Designer podcast. They were looking for opportunities to cross promote their show. So for example, I would do a shout out on my show. They would do a shout out on theirs. And I think this is actually a really good way of promoting a podcast since it's free and you're reaching an audience of people that actually listen to podcasts already. And in this case, same audience with, you know, graphic designers. So great idea. Um, But I'll be honest, I hadn't actually previously heard of the Angry Designer podcast. So I went and checked it out. I listened to a few episodes. I enjoyed it. So I ended up subscribing and I thought rather than you know, just doing a shout out. I thought, let's just invite these guys on the podcast as a guest, because after listening to a couple of episodes, they clearly know their stuff. And I think they can contribute a lot to my audience too. So I responded, we booked some time in and we obviously recorded an an episode and here we are now. So prepping for the interview, I discovered that Massimo is the founder of Z Factor, which is a brand strategy and design agency that helps B2B technology brands be more human and look more global. Since we've not had any previous episodes focused on B2B, which for clarification for anyone that might not be aware, that stands for business to business, I thought this would be a great opportunity to find out what it takes to work with B2B companies as a graphic designer or graphic design agency. So let's get into this to talk about B2B. Here is the interview with angry designer host Massimo Zeffirino. Okay, so Massimo, you are one of the hosts of the Angry Designer podcast and Angry that's Designer how we podcast. connected. But <laughs> yeah. I've been doing a bit of digging into your background, what you're all about, what you do and stuff like this. And I am aware of, is it Z Factor? 
Z factor, Z factor. So it's, you know, it's it's kind of funny because I mean we're a Canadian company, and I but I grew up watching Sesame Street, so I learned my alphabet from an American <laughs> alphabet. So I've generally been pretty relaxed. I figure however you want to call it in your language, Z-factor. as long as it's still I'm gonna say Z factor. Cool, between you and I, I personally like Z factor. <laughs> Z factor sounds cooler. Okay, so something I like to do in this podcast. I obviously want to talk about Z Factor, but I think so that it can be relatable to people listening that might just be starting out or might work for themselves and be thinking of creating, um, you know, a studio or an agency of some kind. How did you get to starting Z Factor? What What's the background to that? So I am one of those um, <clears throat> odd, fortunate cases that 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 I always knew I wanted to do this for a living. I was I was probably about twelve years old when I was watching this episode of this show, this this American show called Who's the Boss, right? And it was uh, you know an Italian guy who was the maid for this advertising executive, right? And I was young and I knew I was creative, but I had no idea how to make money from this. So what I ended up doing is is I I, I saw this episode and she was an advertising exec and she got in front of people and she presented ideas and I was like wow that is really cool I want to do that for a living but I had no idea how I could get there and then in high school I think it was like grade nine maybe grade 10 I had uh, I took a graphic design class because I was an arts kid everything I did was about art so um, I went in and I learned about graphic design and I and this woman was like you know our, my teacher at that time she said you know you have, if you want to own an advertising agency, this is your in, right? This is how you can get there. So literally um, every decision I made from that point forward for the next 10 years, I set myself a goal that by the time I turned 25, I was going to open up an agency. And Wait, I mean, so again, I want to- You came up with this idea at the age of 15. <laughs> I did. That's I, pretty actually, bold. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. It's, I had this percolating in my mind. And I do have to give credit to my girlfriend's father at the time because he sat us down, her and I, and I was 15. And he's like, you know, you guys, I, I want you to write down a goal on a piece of paper, right? Of where you want to be in 10 years. And it was the quickest in my mind, it just snapped. But it was just like, I'm going to have an agency, you know, 10 years, I'm going to have an, it was no questions. So of course, I lost that piece of paper. But every decision I made from, you know, that point to starting Z Factor was either going to take me closer to my goal or further. And don't get me wrong, I, I was still young, I was still foolish, I had a lot of fun, right? I still went out and did everything that, you know, teenagers did and, and, and had a great life. But I always knew I was going to go to college for design in high school, I knew everything I was going to do was going to take me closer to that. Even those jobs that I took, you know, um, just to make money as a kid, I would always think twice, is this going to take me closer to my goal or further? So instead of just taking a retail sales job, I, I took a retail sales job in a photo, um, you know, at a photo store, a, a camera store, because it, it would teach me about, you know, photography. And then, you know, when I did take sales jobs, I wanted to make sure that it taught me how to sell not just trinkets and trash like at a convenience store, but how to interact with people and try to make the sale. So sure enough, um, you know, went through college, you know, and um, college was a struggle because I started in college. So uh, up until college, I had already had a freelance business going on, albeit, you know, it was teenager and just doing small little jobs for anybody who needed it. But then uh, by the time I actually went to college, I had already learned, you know, an Apple. I already knew what a Macintosh was. I was already familiar with the software and I had put down my pencil, you know, in my mid-teens, knowing that the future was going to be digital, right? And um, the first year of graphic design college, and it was a great college, it was a struggle because they did not want anyone to touch a computer. They said, no, we don't even touch computers until third year. Uh, personally, I think it's because they had no idea how to even use it personally. But I knew this was the future. And it was just, it was such a struggle for me because I had already had this, you know, this motivation, this energy to go. And it was, um, you know, and, and here they were like almost holding me back, holding me back, teaching. And, and I'm all for theory. Don't get me wrong. I'm all for, you know, everything you do about, you know, art fundamentals and such. But I had already had, you know, like success in business and business and, and my whole life was gearing towards this. And these guys were like almost pulling me back because in college, a lot of the exercises were um, subjective. They would mark you on something subjective. And, and and I had an issue with that because it was because this field is so subjective. It was like, well, how could you actually tell me I'm right or wrong? Because it works for me. It worked for the people I showed just because the prof didn't think it worked. You know, why are you feeling me or giving me a feeling mark? So um, I would always push back. 
And then the profs, um, you know, they sat me aside one day and they actually said to me that with your attitude, you will never make it in this industry. And Ian, I tell you, that's the wrong thing to tell anybody who's on a mission. I, 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 I just felt that fire inside of me just explode. And I was like, yeah, I'll show you. So within a week, I, I said, the hell with this course. I dropped out. And there was another course um, that was advertising and design. And it basically taught the rest of the business. So I was already passionate about graphic design, but I needed to learn the rest of the business. And in my whole pursuit of you know, owning an agency, I knew I had to learn it. And so best thing I could have done. You know, absolute best because my passion taught me design. It taught me principles, you know, and, and that never stopped. But by switching courses, I learned the business side, which was, you know, the best thing I could have done at that point because um, it taught me about marketing. It taught me about it taught me even further about sales and media, you know, and of course, they started you on the computer in first year because they knew that the computer was, you know, was it was the future of this space. Go figure. So um, needless to say, within a year after graduating, I, I, I was happy to have started my agency and I started it one year earlier than my 10 year goal, which was kind of cool. You know what I really love about this? And um, mm. I find it amazing that you picked it up so early is the idea of having a vision and working towards it. That is oh, like I'm so incredibly important. Most people don't pick that up until later in life. And and the the fact that you had that from the age of 15 is just like, you know, that fast forward your career uh, rapidly. <laughs> I, you know, and it is, it's a matter of just finding a target, right? Mm -hmm. And heading towards that target. Now, regardless, you know, it doesn't have to be for a career per se. It could be, you know, um, you know I, I want to be married and have kids by this date, or I want to have, you know, this much real estate by this date, whatever that target is, right? Or I want to travel to this many question, uh, countries by the time I'm there. You just, you need to have some sort of target just, just, just to kind of help guide your life in a direction. It's not the only thing you're going to do, but you need that. Like your mind is a goal-seeking mechanism. If you set that goal, and I do find that if you actually set it, not just in your mind, but in the real world, whether you write it down and, and just put in a sticky note or something, it will find a way how to get there. And it finds it subconsciously. So, um, you know, a big believer, huge. Well, believer. I can totally relate with that. I, I've mentioned this on the podcast previously, but something that I, I did at one point with, with um, an ex-partner of mine, we put up a future board and... Mm -hmm basically what we did was pinned up basically what what we want and it was something it was something that uh, we, we read in the book and we pinned up like what type of work do we want to be doing what type yep. of house do we want to be living in what kind of holidays and stuff like that and um you know what was really surprising to me Hmm. literally everything on that board i did it in a really short space of time exactly it's, <laughs> it's, it's almost crazy the universe works in an amazing way well it was things i mean basic yeah. things like holidays like simple yep. things like holidays it's like okay i want to go there that's the only place i want to go that's the only mm -hmm. place that literally matters right let's not go there and there let's just go there and it like rather than having like two smaller holidays, just have one big holiday going on right. that thing. It it's a total mind shift, just it figuring is. stuff out and working towards it. And that's and that's the key I find that it's like that decision you make has already been done. Now it's all the small decisions that are going to take you there. Right? It's yeah. easy to make yeah. a big lofty goal and have it at the end. But that's <laughs> one less decision that you have to make now all the smaller subconscious ones to get you there will just fall into place. I'm a huge believer of that. So see, it works. It worked for you. Exactly. I mean, it's why I have like things like this podcast and why I do other things because there is like a long-term plan that will event, you know, eventually I'll get there. It's just, you know, this big audacious goal that I might not never re reach, but it's just more exciting to be able to work towards that target. And I, I, I think everyone should have this. And the uh, fact that you had that, from the age of 15 it's awesome um as <laughs> for little, i was pretty fortunate i was pretty fortunate <laughs> well i mean as for people like getting in your way that's that's concerning and i i um, ironically <laughs> listened to um i've listened to a handful of your podcasts and one of them you actually shared that story uh, where you 
explain that you went back and you ended up in the lift with somebody and oh my god there was no better feeling let me tell you there was no better feeling than you know um after i successfully started my agency and was growing right it was probably about year eight or nine right and um and i just needed a little bit of a break right because it was a heck of a pace um it was probably about the 10-year mark and my college had invited me to come back and teach which was amazing. And I was like, absolutely. I'd love to come back and teach a course for a couple semesters. And I remember going to the college and like going into the staff elevator. And one of those profs that told me I couldn't make it came in. She didn't even recognize me. And I even asked her, do you recognize me? She's like, no. (laughs) All those, you know, it's like a movie. You have a million and a half different ideas of what you wanted to say and what you would say. But when I got there, I just, I, it's just like, you know what? I don't even have to say anything. I just, it was almost like I proved it to myself and I didn't have to prove it to anybody else that, you know, that, that it was the right decision. I did the right path. Mm-hmm. I, oh, afterwards, of course, you know, I probably spent the next year saying, I should have said this. I should have said that. But <laughs> no, you were the nah. bad person not saying anything. <laughs> but yeah, wow. there's, there's a lot of satisfaction in that. I, you know, ironically, I actually had, um, uh, at college I had careers advice and they right. literally told me I cannot do graphic design unless I go to university I didn't go See, to like, university what, what? and here oh. I am yeah surprising uh, right yeah <laughs> so you know anyone young that's listening to this that has teachers and advisors and stuff like that saying stuff just ignore them because if you want to do something yeah. just flip and do it <laughs> absolutely <laughs> you <know>? passion will <laughs> take you further passion and perseverance will take take you further than any you know edu- and, and i mean don't get me wrong i'm all for education absolutely but just because you have the education it doesn't guarantee you any future your future yeah, is still exactly. up to you right um and again especially when it comes to careers like you know the creative career is still um it's not carved out it's not uh i mean don't get me wrong if if, if i'm going in for surgery <laughs> i want to see a lot of degrees yeah. on the wall behind the doctor who's oh yeah doing exactly it. you know but when it comes to something experience-based no there's there's so much more importance than just the schooling alone exactly and to be honest uh, uh qualifications doesn't necessarily mean that person's particularly very good at what they do absolutely so there's that side of things as well Okay, so with Z Factor, you focus on B2B technology companies. B2B, yep. What made you choose to go down that route and how early in the process did you uh, introduce that? So, so, okay, so interesting. Actually, we've always been a B2B agency. So from day one, yep, literally from day one, when we started the agency, um, I picked up, so back then, you know, when we started this agency only like, you know, it wasn't like 50 years ago. It was only like 25 years ago. Um, we used to have these things called the yellow pages, which was this a giant phone book that you would actually pick up and look through and you'd find services, businesses, right? Main, like it was, it, it was two inches thick and it, it was just disgusting. sounds funny talking about that now, but yeah, I vividly <laughs> remember the yellow pages and I swear they were like five inches thick. I swear they were they really thick. Right? <laughs> so I, I remember picking it up and the first thing I did is, I was like, you know what? I'm starting my agency. First thing I did is I went, I went to look up how many advertising agencies there were in Kitchener Waterloo. And back then there really weren't any web pages. There really wasn't, you know, anything um that that you would literally have to go and spy on them. You'd show up, you'd walk in, you'd ask some questions. Um there was some 34 different agencies in a town. And back then our town was only about 300,000 people. And um here I am starting and there's already 34 other companies and I was just like what the heck am I going to do? How am I possibly going to compete with all these agencies as a brand new company, right? And I knew right from the get-go, I needed um, I, I needed something to differentiate ourselves immediately. And, you know, coming from uh, an Italian background, like I, I had you know, all my, everything I knew growing up was always um, manual labor, whether it was, you know, being construction, whether it's being, you know, working uh, in factories, whether it was, um, you know, concrete, you know, laying driveways, my, my whole experience was all blue collar environment. So I was, you know, in, in, in coming from that background, I knew that there was this huge market that nobody was Nobody cared about all the agencies back then were all looking for really exciting, glitzy, fancy jobs, right? It was just right from the get go. It's just, you saw that there was already ego out there and you saw that there was people that, you know, didn't want to bring themselves down to this level. And I was like, you know, I'm, my goal is to have an agency and this market needs to be served 
So it was prime for the picking. So there was magazines on, on trades, all these trades. Like, you know, I remember there was all these really wacky magazines, like metal forming magazine, you know, and, and hydraulic and OEM magazines. And it was insane that there was this giant untapped market. Nobody else wanted. So right away jumped into that. And I was like, you know what? You're already spending money. Picked up, I picked up these magazines and um, and I would literally call up the companies and I'd call up and who's, you know, who's in charge of marketing at your place, right? And they were like, okay, they'd introduce me to this person. And it was you know, my pitch was literally, you're spending all this money placing ads in these industrial magazines, but you're not spending a penny on actually designing the ads. They look horrible. Like they look like you put it together. And more times than not, they did put it together themselves. They were putting it in, you know applications like you know back then i guess equivalent to word and stuff that just weren't meant for it and they had no experience doing this stuff so immediately it was just we just hit the ground running we started creating ads and believe it or not initially we would create the ads for the commission price that they would pay for these magazines because the magazines would then pay out a 15 percent commission and so they'd pay it to the agency. So we'd design them their ads for free. Um, we'd get all this experience. The The company then was like, wow, you guys are really good. I have some brochures I need done. Let's talk. Or I have some data sheets I need done. Let's talk. And so there was this giant industrial B2B market that was just ready for the picking, which again, was perfect for us. So, um, you know, we started, we hit the ground running. And for the first 10 years, you know, that was our business. Everything was B2B industrial manufacturing trade companies. What happened was um, there was a shift in the market at that point. And this is when, you know, technology in our area started becoming, um, you know, big because this is, you know, we're the home of BlackBerry here in Waterloo. And, um, you know, as, as tech was rising, um, industry was actually falling and, and a lot of these small shops were just being farmed out further away or, or offshore. So what we realized at an early part, you know, or at an early stage is that the engineers that we used to deal with in these, you know, B2B manufacturing companies were the exact same, you know, engineers, personality types, you know, they thought the same, they acted the same in the tech space. So for us, when that transition came and we started observing, you know, getting into the technology market, it was a really easy transition to focus into that space. Um, of course, we had to adopt technology at the same time, which was great for us. Um, but needless to say, you know, going from B2B manufacturing and then switching to B2B technology companies was just a natural fit for us. It was just a natural, it, just, it was our momentum. It was just the trajectory of where the industry was going. You are clearly very business-minded and have been from the outset. <laughs> I never um, really thought of myself that way, to be honest. You are. Thank you, you. you definitely are. Like from the outset, you you clearly had an interest in marketing, advertising from the outset, and that's kind of run through what you're doing. Anyway, so I find this, this really interesting, what you just said about uh, the type of person within these companies that you were working with had a very specific personality type. Can Correct. you elaborate on that? Like what, what type of person are they and like uh, have you seen it different drastically to other industries well i mean for us um and, and it, it has we have literally you know repositioned rebranded you know retargeted a company based on you know this personality type right um you know engineers whether they're technology engineers or manufacturing engineers you know they're generally you know very smart people but their mindset is a little bit different they're a little bit more passionate about how things work Right. And when you start talking to an engineer about something they've created, the technology behind what they've created, how they've done, they, they get excited. They get jazzed up just like designers do. Right. And um, and they start talking about tech in this in, in this high level way that they talk about the tech, but they don't necessarily talk about what the tech does for the end user or how it helps you know they're really excited about you know what it is that they've created you know they're they're technology focused people they're generally you know very smart they went to school for computer sciences often um so you know they they start talking about you know in equivalent to you know like cell phones right like the cell phone phase um everybody talks about you know how fast a cell phone is and and you know how much storage space it has and and how incredible you know the, the screen has got so many you know like dpr Oh, yeah, it's completely different from it. But what I'm going on this is the people who build the phones are very passionate about the technology behind the phones. But it takes a marketing company like, uh, you know, not, not to throw it out there, but Apple to translate those technical features into what matters to the end user. I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, how much storage space, you know, a phone has. If somebody says, you know, this phone has got, you know, a, a terabyte of storage. 
what matters to the end user is you can be spinning out videos for the next year straight and you can store it all on your phone. Um, these are some of the things that I find. Um, I did a really horrible job explaining this. So you no, no, you explained it perfectly. I, they, they <laughs> suffer from the curse of knowledge, right? Because they're too smart for their own good and they can't translate you know their knowledge base and what gets them excited into what really matters for the end user and so that's where our shift came in we as designers always been a designer and i always i always love solving problems and trying to understand how people work what it is um because i had this growing up passion about how things are made and as a designer you know what, what the purposes of these things being made i was able to translate you know, at a very young age, early on in the career, you know, what they're actually making, um, like what the, the benefit is to the end user. Because again, the end user doesn't really care about the storage space. It's just what does that sport storage space do for them? You know, they don't care about the technology, you know, and, and, you know, like the, uh, the fact that they're using this programming language versus this programming or that programming language, what matters is what that outcome is for them. It's a faster user experience. It's a better user experience. It's going to allow them to, to, to make their lives that much easier, faster. So I think that's, what where our connection where our strength was more than anything else and that's what's served us really well over the past um you know 25 years yeah i love thinking in this way like one really good example that i always hear is that people don't want to buy a drill they want a hole that's that's exactly it oh my god wow you just would have saved me five minutes of trying to explain <laughs> just that analogy because i mean and that's exactly what apple do really well is exactly. that apple is I don't know if they were the first company, but they were definitely one of the biggest that took something that people didn't really understand or, or they, they didn't see the the value in it. And you still see this today, you know, how Samsung, Samsung advertised their stuff versus Apple. They mm -hmm. uh, Samsung tend to focus on the amount of storage space, the screen size. The technical the, features. Yeah, all the technical features. And I mean, that does work if you are more techie and you understand the the actual benefits of those things. But the average consumer, they they are more interested in, I can fit a thousand songs in my pocket, which I think Absolutely. is how Steve Jobs originally explained the iPod. And exactly. that, that way of advertising is so incredibly powerful but also so simple that people don't realize that it's a good way of selling. It's, it's that whole features versus benefits, right? And you're right. Um, there were other uh, MP3 players prior to the iPhone. There were loads. There were right? loads. But now, they always no. said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they would always, they'd always brag about the storage space, you know, the storage space. And that didn't mean anything to somebody because they just, they had no idea. It was when Steve Jobs said, you know, we've created something that allows you to carry 10,000 songs in your pocket. It just all of a sudden it made that connection for people. It's not the feature that people buy. It's the benefit that people buy. And, you know, when people are very passionate and, and often very smart, they, they love the features because that's what they built. That's, that's, you know, what they're passionate about and what they're responsible for. But it's often hard for those people to do because of the curse of knowledge. They're just too smart for their own good. They can't dumb it down. And, and that's a horrible thing to say, but they can't explain it in a way that, that makes to uh, translate the value to the end user because they're just assuming that the end user understands the features the way they would, right? So you're right. It's the benefit is what sells the product, the company, the brand, not the features behind it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I want to talk a bit more about B2B. So mm -hmm. for the audience, just to be totally clear so that everyone understands what we're talking about, B2B is business to business. So these clients that you're targeting are companies that attract other companies. And um, where I used to work, so I used to work for a e-commerce web design agency, mm -hmm. and we would very often build B2C websites, so mm -hmm. um, business to consumer, so companies selling a specific product to you know, a mass audience of consumers that are, are buying and using that product. And we did that very often, but now and again, there were a need for B2B. And B2B seen more like a more lucrative offering, but for whatever reason, um, the company that I worked for felt that it 
was almost like an entirely different thing. We'd have to build an entirely different product, market in an, in an entirely different way. And there were there was sort of this stigma in my head anyway at the time. I mean, this was some time back now, where B2C was exciting. Mm-hmm. B2B was boring. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, very much so. I don't know if that's necessarily the case, but I mean, asking you, you you work in this area and and um Z Factor doesn't have this boring feel how you present yourself and no. and, and everything isn't boring in the, in the slightest. So I'm just gonna straight up ask you, is the B2B market boring? <laughs> is it boring? <laughs> so to me it's been it's been fantastic. <laughs> I can't say it's been boring at all, which is um you know, uh, now this has been over 25 years worth of, of experience, right? When yeah. I started, yeah. right, um, you know, I, I tried to do the suit thing. I tried to to be the professional because I was learning and I just thought that's what everybody was. But um, yeah, I, I think, think I realized. Clear. So when I say boring, I mean very like shirt and tie, very corporate, oh, yeah, yeah. very clean cut. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what I thought it was initially, right? And um, yeah, and it's then, how I you know, see it. It's, yeah. it's how and, I see it still a little bit. <laughs> and, and what happened was, you know, I kind of gave up on that, you know, um, I, I literally, so it worked to my benefit that I broke out of that mold and I was just like the heck with this. I'm just going to be me. Um, cause I always wanted to be creative and I'm going to bring that energy to the B2B space. Now talking about the differences between B2B and B2C, is there a difference? There absolutely is a difference between how um, how they're marketed, how they're designed for, but it's not so much that it's boring. It's you have to understand that you know most consumer purchases are emotionally driven. Okay, it was like ninety five percent of our daily purchases are purchased out of emotion, right? We don't think, we just buy, you know, and that's based on you know our brand, the perception, how we feel about something, how we feel about a product, right? And we're just buying it because we're literally, it's just we're just we're just following without understanding why. B two B purchases are completely opposite. They're scrutinized. You know, they're they're often not a, just a black and white purchase. I mean, sure, if you need to go buy a widget, you can go buy a widget, right? Um, you need to go buy a screwdriver, this or that. Fine, you go to Home Depot. That's fine. That's that's still a small purchase. But when you're talking about purchases over, you know, a couple hundred dollars or a couple thousand dollars, right? They're not emotionally driven at this point, right? Um, you know, you need to. They're often, you know, scrutinized on price. They're often scrutinized on performance. Some Sometimes they have to go through bigger, um, different departments, depending on the size of the actual purchase, right? So, you know, because the purchase cycle is completely different, you have to remove the emotion part and you have to start balancing, you know, um, how much information to give about your product so they understand the benefits of your products um, just in a different way. I mean, the brand building part is exactly the same, which of course I'm very passionate about. You know, you're still, you know, speaking about the brand, you're still, you know, living the brand, breathing the brand, but it's like when you're building the material, you know, you do have to, you know, talk about the feature and the benefit, right? So again, you can't just, you know, skirt over them as as easy. So I I think that's the difference in how you um, deliver right, is you have to educate often, as well as, you know, wow and jazz people. So, you know, once people understand this a little more, um, it becomes fun. You know, now don't get me wrong, you know, we don't often, um, you know, often uh, mascots, right? Like we we love the opportunities to do, you know, silly mascots for customers and, and have these little brand ambassadors build out, right? But when you go, you know, they're great because they allow people to um, to create this emotional connection with the brand. I have yet to have a B2B customer accept a mascot as part of their company brand. They just they refuse to. And it's because it, you know, the emotion is it's less about the emotion and more about the product, you know, mm-hmm. more about the outcome of it. So, um, you know, often it's a little bit more conservative often, um, but that's because they don't want to be, you know, viewed as, um, you know, well, they need to be credible. Right. And that's where um, often, um, you know, startups, technology startups, you know, they're fantastic. If they're B2C, they can be edgy, they could be fun, they could be, you know, totally out there. But when it's a, a B2B startup, it's completely the opposite. They don't want to necessarily look like a startup, right? You know that, you know, people, um, they're going to scrutinize you right from the start because their jobs are on the line. And often when it's a B2B purchase, it's not just a widget. It's, you know, I ate a piece of machinery in the tens of thousands, if not millions of dollars that has to integrate within their platform, this, that. So they have to always be seen as a leader. So once you start accepting and understanding this, 
it becomes a lot more fun because you can figure out how to actually play within that realm. Yeah, that's a really interesting uh, way of looking at it, that's for sure. Okay, so yeah. something I want to also ask you is, sure. so B2B is clearly lucrative. It was lucrative for my old company. You know, they had more money. It was uh, bigger projects and so on. And it seems to be working well for you from the outset um, since you are still focusing on that now. Mm-hmm. So... There might be people listening to this that might be thinking, okay, I want interest in going into the B2B space. In terms of advertising to this sector and and targeting, attracting this type of company, does this differ much? And I want to point out something I noticed. On your website, you do not have a portfolio. <laughs> Oh, is that right. intentional or is that laziness? Is that what's what's the deal with that? A <laughs> little bit, little bit of both, to be hundred percent honest. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> um, you know what? So I remember trying to keep up with our portfolio in our old website, and it drove me nuts because we've always been a busy shop, and um, you know, it just it got to the point where you know, like the one part of it was constantly trying to update our portfolio. We would end up, you know, focusing on work on on our customers, not necessarily ourselves. And so our portfolio became outdated, you know, and, um, and so in one way, not laziness, you know, intentionalness. Every that- designer is the same, by the way, like yeah, my I believe portfolio it. <laughs> hasn't been updated in like two years. Yeah, I was speaking right. with a friend the other day. He was asking me like, do I feel annoyed that I can't update my portfolio? And it's like, yeah, but it doesn't really make any difference my two-year-old portfolio is good enough to attract clients so right exactly (laughs) right so but here's here's the thing though in the b2b space you know I don't want people to, you know, look at an image and and kind of pigeonhole us, assume that, you know, oh, this is this is what they can do and, and this is what their capabilities are. So sure. um when we removed it from our website, and we we I mean our website is ridiculous. It is so plain, Jane. It's so basic and so simple. Um, but it says the right words that resonates with our customers. And we don't want to answer too many questions on our website. We want people to pick up the phone and call. Right now, I mean, it's not to say that our website has been a giant lead magnet because because it hasn't. And I, and I can honestly say that, you know, um, you know, for the most part, it's it's a secondary piece of credibility that customers mm-hmm. go look at to make sure where we are. But the customers that do come from our website, the leads that we do get, like, I mean, I think our our, our our lead or our conversion rate in our website is like 80%. Because again, the people who are like, you know, shopping around for something that looks very creative, right? Generally don't know their space enough if they're just judging who they're going to deal with based on how pretty something looks, right? The people who reach out to us tend to be, they, they from the B2B space especially, they run into a problem. Um, they they realize that they have a problem with their marketing. I mean, the the visual part is just the gravy on top of it. And it seems like by focusing on what we say on our website, not what we're showing, it actually gets our con- it increased our conversion rate. Because by the time they're calling, they're like, okay, you claim you're already the expert. Let's talk. And then we have to talk. And then right away, I'll in, I'll immediately send them something. I'll send them a portfolio online. Um, you know, our, our big agency pitch, it shows, you know, about 20 pages worth of, you know, the work that we've done over the past two, three years. And then that's, that's I mean, that's fine. That just kind of makes them feel better about the situation. But they pick up and they pick up the phone and call based on the words on our website, not because of the interesting. Images. Yeah. Interesting. A little different, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating because the, the general logic would apply that in order to convert projects that uh, potential clients would need to see the type of work that you've done previously. So it's really fascinating that people have came across you and thought, these guys can do what I want without actually showing it it. yeah and and again keep in mind you know websites only one of many touch points right you've got your website you've got your linkedin you've got you know your networking groups and then you've got your reputation and i mean our growth has largely been by this clients for life um you know belief tenant that we have here we we make sure that you know customers have such a good experience with us they they understand you know number one that we actually know what we're talking about we know what we're doing you know we understand the b2b space um you know number two you know the quality of work that they receive is always top-notch and number three we're 
always having a good time with customers. We always make sure customers like dealing with us. Not, you know, it's, it's not that whole, it's, 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 and, and again, we, we don't hold back punches. Of course we're professional, but I mean, we're cracking jokes where, you know, sometimes we'll send, you know, gag stuff and, and we make every experience, you know, like when somebody's dealing with us, you know, the highlight of their day, you know, even in our emails, I, you know, sometimes when, when I hire team members, I have to break them down because they're too professional. And I'm like, you know what? People want to deal with humans. They don't want to deal with just another professional. And so, you know, it's okay to be a little bit more casual. It's okay to be, you know, a little bit more, you know, we don't have to be perfect. And um, customers appreciate this relationship. Um, and so when they jump to another place, they immediately want to call us and they take us along. So it's this whole customers for life. You treat them so well that they bring you along in their journey. You know, this is something we've talked about on the podcast as well. And, and this, you know, is one of those big differentiators that has, has helped us, you know, over the past 25 years, 100% is probably been, probably been the biggest, you know, source of leads, you know, over, over our whole span. This story is making me think of, uh, my first job. Uh, I, so I, I used to work for a medical company and I was part of this team called product support and education. And we worked really closely with the, um, sales team for this, uh, medical company. And the absolute most successful salesperson mm -hmm. was just somebody that everybody absolutely loved. And it right. felt like he never did. It felt like he never did any, did any work. He would kind of like just not mess around, but make you joke, make you like him, make you look forward to seeing him. Like when he came, it was just like, exactly. oh, you know, everybody loved this guy. And if he did the same thing with customers, which is most likely because I believe this was part of his personality, but mm -hmm. he would go in there, have a joke, have a tease, you know, make friends. Like people wanted to, you know, uh, like they would, if they would go out for a drink with him because they like him, you know, they're, they're friends with him. And this is something that always really fascinated me at that time. And, uh, you know, I haven't thought of this for ages, but it was almost like people bought the products from him because they liked him. Absolutely. And it was like, uh, yeah, the product did what it needed to. And, and when he went into sales mode, he was great at selling it. Like he, he exactly. He, and he dressed well and, you know, very presentable and everything like that. But he just had this this personality and character, and it feels like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like it with what you're doing, this single thing. I mean, obviously, you need to be able to do a good job and 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 um, serve the client and and solve their problem Absolutely. and all this sort of stuff. But it feels like it's actually that relationship, that no like and trust factor that is working for you. Absolutely, you know what people. Um... So I always say, you know, obviously, obviously, you know, above the relationship, the most important thing is you have to be able to deliver. So let's be clear about mm -hmm. this, right? You could be the yeah, you have best, to be able best, to actually exactly. do the thing. Yeah. Best yeah. best designer in the world doesn't <laughs> doesn't mean a thing if they can't deliver, if they can't make a deadline, yeah. if they're yeah. constantly focused on being perfect versus, you know, being perfect for the customer. But um, you know, that relationship though, like once there's that trust and people know they can rely on you right? They will reach out for, to you on things. I mean, they will grow your skill set even more than, than you thought you could. We have had customers reach out to us asking us to do projects, not because we knew how to do them, because we were clear. We said, look, I've never done this before. And they're saying, you know what? But based on working with you, you will be able to deliver. You will learn how to do this and you'll do a better job at this than anybody else. And it's true. They knew that, you know, above anything else, you know, Z Factor gets shit done. And they knew it's just like, they would come to us and be like, you're the only person that we think can get this job done. You know, this is, here's, here's the 10% of it. Go learn the other 90% and deliver. And they would make sure that we were paid for it. So that is a huge compliment, you know, that people can rely on you, you know, to, deli to deliver, and then they will, they will take you with them for their entire career. Yeah. And if they move to different companies, they will want to work yeah. with you. We've had customers take us to four or five different companies, Ian. It's, it's amazing. It's awesome. And it's like, and, and every customer we treat as gold, right? Every time they leave and they introduce somebody else, we treat that next person like gold. And so they don't leave either. So we've just kept growing by retaining customers. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good message to be sharing on this podcast. So uh, 
just stay keeping on this question one other thing mm-hmm. i wanted to ask you so you don't have a portfolio you don't have case studies online so <laughs> people cannot see examples of of what you do but they come to you anyway you specifically mentioned that uh your website is just one touch point and that you have many touch points out of curiosity what of everything that you're doing is actually attracting people to come to you to ask the questions uh interesting Oh, I hate I hate to say this because I know designers don't necessarily like this, but it's the networking part of the business that has done the most because, you know, um, you start developing a reputation, you start, you know, um, working in certain circles in certain industries, and that travels like proof is in the pudding in the end. You know, mm-hmm. we've, um, you know, we've always, we've always been a B2B company. And then um, based on our location, we turned into a B2B technology company, but then based on specific case studies and, and experiences with customers, we've really narrowed down into um, IoT, Internet of Things, and in the broadband market. And what happens is when you start reaching out to, like, I'm a big proponent of being a specialist. If you haven't figured it out, you know, uh, we own the B2B space, we own a B2B technology space, and even more so, you know, IoT and broadband is where we want to play even more. And the more of a specialist you become, the more people will actually, um, you know, lean in to listen to what you have to say, Mm -hmm. right? Because again, it's just, you know, the more networking you do, and I don't mean networking events, right? Because I hate networking events. But, you know, you meet one person, through that one person, you'll meet somebody they work, you know, then all of a sudden, once you have that trust factor built in place, you know, somebody they know will have a problem and they will be like, hey, Mossimo can help you out with this. He's great at that. Maybe we land them as a customer, maybe we don't, but that knowledge transfer continues. And we're constantly, you know, I love you know, technology and how it works. I, I love just some of the stuff that we, that we're privy to is just mind blowing. I can't really talk about it, but it's just, it just, it's so fascinating. And, um, you know, and so when you start, you know, when you start having these conversations with people, they realize you actually know what you're talking about. And then you offer skills that they don't have being, you know, the fact that, you know, we can make their technology more human, make it more understandable, you know? Um, so, this is what I mean by networking. So not networking events, hate networking events, but you know what, you know, LinkedIn, you know, I'm on LinkedIn all the time. I, every time I meet somebody else, I make sure I add them, you know, I reach out to people on there and I make sure that every time we talk that people understand what our differentiating factor is. Mm-hmm. And something else I want to point out that you probably wouldn't point out personally is you are a very good communicator. I think I'm horrible. <laughs> No, you talk about what you do very clearly and it provides a real sense of confidence that you know what you're doing. Like I, huh. I, ha- I mean, I, I did find a portfolio online in the end, but I mean, based on this, based on really this old. conversation, <laughs> <laughs> based on this conversation alone, I feel confident that you could do what I would need if I was in the B2B sector. You, right. you give off this confidence and I think that's one component of this package in order to do it in the way that you're doing. Hmm. I do think confidence has a big part to do with this. Um, you know, I, I think, I think all designers at some point or another, you know, um, suffer from, you know, <laughs> suffer from confidence or having a lack of, but you know, confidence is gained by experience and, you can and by doing it. something right. And the more you do something, you know, the more um, experience you gain in a certain space, right? Um, that, that whole confidence, the self-confidence, you know, or lack of, it just disappears because it's just, you know, you, you're comfortable talking about something. So mm-hmm. while some people might not be confident in getting up in, in front of an audience and, and talking to them the first time, if they do it 20, 30 times, it, it, the confidence isn't even an issue. They can just get up and do it, right? And it just kind of goes out the window. So may, maybe because I've, I've done a few pitches. And maybe well, I mean, I've, it's the same as me. Like, so I've, I've like naturally... I've never been the best communicator, but it's, it's something that I was very aware of and I've wanted to work on my confidence. And one of the ways of, of working on that has been doing a podcast. So if anyone was to go back to my earlier podcast, which I would be totally transparent that a lot of them are quite heavily edited and sometimes actually re-record my parts. Hmm. I am even now a much stronger communicator because I'm constantly recording these things, having conversations. And I think, so so sometimes you can talk to a lot of people, you meet them and people speak really well. Like they just speak really like 
elegantly and I don't know what it if if it's in their genes or if they've learned it or what it is maybe the way that they was brought up I don't feel like I could ever be that like I've I've uh I guess I'm a bit weird and a bit quirky and I, I don't know but but to some extent the the more confidence I've grown there's also been the acceptance of knowing who I am and mm-hmm. actually just using that to my advantage right and um, just you know that weirdness just using it to my advantage <laughs> in the way that i do on this podcast <laughs> well keep in mind like and, and you pretty much said this right when you started your podcast you know you had you had some issues and you would re-record and and probably very critical in yourself um you know uh-huh. other other people probably didn't notice but you would right <laughs> But now, like, now look at you, like you're a legend in the space. You are the podcast that we all in the design space try to, you know, live up to, right? That's so cool to hear. That's, that's weird. <laughs> I know, right? Because even like, now and, I feel like, that, and yeah, this could be better. <laughs> oh, dude, think about it. Look at, look at who you've had on the show, right? Michael Jan. Is, is you, just Hadid, asked them. James. you just well, asked them. You just asked them. You just asked them. Literally, but you could start a you podcast were- and ask them and, and <laughs> But dude, you, like, again, (laughs) you've transformed this into something. And again, you're not giving yourself now enough credit, right? Because it takes, if they came to your podcast and they were like, oh God, this, this, this guy's a hack, you know, he's a mess. I I don't want to go on his show. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, you, you have built something and you've built something, um, time and over time right you've got so much experience doing this and it shows right and i've shaped it into something that i didn't originally plan it to be like it's 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 evolved and changed and i know my interview style has improved and all this sort of stuff but yeah absolutely so what i'm getting at is that if you are a shy insecure person that feels sick speaking on the phone that was me and mm. I think it's good to bring this up that, um, yeah, I'm, I don't think I'm as good a communicator as, as, as you are, but I feel that anybody, no matter who you are, if you actually want to be a good communicator, you can be. And it seems to be, um, from what I can see as an outsider anyway, one of the real key aspects of your success. Mm. Well, I do thank you for that. Because I, I feel um, you don't have a portfolio, you don't have case studies. Mm-hmm. It's you. <laughs> they are buying you. It's true. No. It's 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 no, fact. Like you were doing networking, yeah. but you're gaining that trust. You're gaining that credibility. You built up all of this stuff so that when you speak, to, when you speak to people, you convert them mm. because of the the confidence, the way you speak about what you do and stuff like that. And and I think that's. Um, you know, people don't think about that enough. And, and ironically, people don't talk about this type of thing enough. But actually, you know, if, if it's not the portfolio that sells, it's not the case study that sells, what is it? It's, hey, you're it's right. You. It's, it's that promise <laughs> that, you know, we're going to be delivering every time. And ultimately, again, you could have the best portfolio in the world. But if you can't close that deal, if you can't deliver that product, you know, it doesn't mean anything in the end. So, you know, um, I I appreciate it. I mean, you're getting people through the door, you're speaking with them, you're then showing them the work, providing that additional confidence. And then once you've got them in the door, you're keeping them for life. Yes. Um, But yeah, most likely what's been your key success is you individually. And if you ever do stuff away from the company, factor that in because you need to probably add all of this stuff that you um thing that you don't need but actually you probably would need if 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 you wasn't doing what you're doing <laughs> presenting it yeah i get to a point to a point you're right <laughs> <laughs> okay so another thing i want to ask you about so mm-hmm. on your website and i think this is really interesting with you being b2b your main message is we speak human and you seem to have the same theme through your website and uh, your podcast, even though it's called Angry Designer, um, mm-hmm. even that cuts through industry jargon and nonsense. So again, it's the whole we speak human thing, even though that's, um, you know, a podcast for graphic designers. So Absolutely. where's this come from? Where's this whole we speak human aspect of your business come from? So, so um, you know, as a designer, of course, you know, we're, we're supposed to solve customer problems right and i've always been very you know customer focused in the end and and you you know we try to make the end user's life better um we learned at a really really early time that um you know where companies suffered was helping technology companies be more human and look more global 
right? These are two mm-hmm. big staples that we realized, you know, this, this is where they lacked. Um, you know, so the, the be more human technology companies, manufacturing companies, like we said, you know, they speak very much, you know, they always, they're always going on about the features, right? They're not able to translate those features into a human aspect, like what really, really matters to that end user. So, you know, the first thing that we always do is, is we help companies, you know, dissect this, create this messaging that's based around the end user, not around their product. Because again, ultimately, people don't care about your product. They care about what your product is going to do for them, ultimately, mm-hmm. right? So first and foremost, you know, we help companies be more human. The look more global part, you know, is the other side of the equation where, you know, um, uh, startups, technology companies, you know, their brands are so fragmented. They're a mess. They're, they, they look different across every, you know, every platform. So we bring all that together and make sure it's completely unified, right? And then, um, and then again, now all of a sudden it takes this, this small local company and makes them look like a global entity because everything is kind of insane. So that those are kind of the two staples of how we pitch our customers. But in the end, what we realized is just it, it's all about communication. And I guess kind of maybe going back to your point about before, I guess I never really thought about how important that is to me. You know, it's, we want to make sure that when, you know, companies are speaking to, you know, their, their, their end user, their customers, you know, whether it's, you know, a B2B manufacturing company, you know, dealing with, um, you know, like a supply chain issue or B2C company to their end user or the angry designers speaking to other graphic designers, you know, it's, it's cutting through all that jargon, the nonsense, the buzzwords, the, the technology speak and getting down to what it's really all about. And this is where we pride ourselves about, you know, it's, it's all about just being human. People ultimately buy from people. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, uh, unfortunately, that's why sponsorships work so well. That's why, you know, when you can tie an image towards something, it, it, it works really well. People always will buy from somebody more than anything else. So we want to make sure that that human connection is always there, but in a way that the end user understands. So that, that, that's where the, the, the we speak human idea comes from. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's something that works really well for B2B because, you know, B2B, they probably struggle to speak human and they don't want to look like a startup. So, yeah. It's so true. It's so true. Again, it's it's not that. I mean, they're brilliant. They're 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 these engineers that we deal with are the smartest people I've met in my life. Some of these people are the ones that are responsible for you know the internet connection that basically every single computer in the world connects to at, you know to the internet with. And these are like our clients. Like they're rocket scientists. Like these just I I can't even tell you you know how smart these people are. It, it changed the world. Well. They really the world. do. <laughs> often I mean and I mean and often what happens is. If, if they're left to talk to people um, directly, you know, and let's, let's, let's take a look at Elon Musk, you know, and a lot of stuff that comes out of his mouth, it's just <laughs> so out there because that connection isn't made. They can't connect on that level. They love talking about what they're passionate about, you know, and, and, and again, but they're so smart that they just assume that everybody understands what they're talking about. Right. And again, so it's not their fault. They're just too smart for their own good, which we yeah. call the curse, the curse <laughs> of knowledge. Right. It, so it we, makes me, it makes me wonder is who, who's actually smarter, the person that can um, think of that information or the person that can condense it down into a very minimal, easy to right? understand sentence. <laughs> well, you know what? Simplicity is often the most complex part in design. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, like who's smarter? Well, from a from a monetary standpoint, <laughs> you know, Apple did pretty good, you know. Yeah, exactly. Speaking very simply about their products and and I mean again, let's face it, their products are some of the most complicated in the world, yet they make the experience so simple for people, right? So um a big fan of that. Very big fan of, of simplicity. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to ask you one last question because we're coming up to nearly an hour. So, sure, sure, sure. speak more human. I think I think that's something that people can figure out on their own. Look more global. How how do you make a company look more global? There, is there any specific aesthetic or something that you're you're using? So, I mean, first and foremost, it's consistency, right? 
I don't care if they want to look like, you know, IBM or, or if they're happy looking like a, a small startup. The issue, first and foremost, that, you know, really um, makes a company look smaller than it actually is, is when every representative of that company is telling a different story. Sales guy's telling one thing, mm -hmm. you know, the customer service person is telling something else. Their social media person is telling something else. Their website is telling something else. You know, this, um, you know, if a brand is fragmented, right, and delivering different messages, you know, like it's, it's, it's so much weaker than if they all the messages pulled together and, you know, delivered a single, you know, heart, uh, heart stopping moment. You're, oh, that's a horrible thing to say. But, um, you know, if, if you can bring all these messages first and foremost together into some one unified message that everybody can rally behind, that's the first step that we've, our customers get so much success from is just, is just by literally having everybody embrace the exact same, you know, belief of what the brand is. It's, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of a brand promise. You know, I'm not really, you know, mission, vision, all that. Sure, whatever. But it's that promise. If everybody can rally behind a brand promise that, you know, the brand promises to uphold and deliver every single time quickly, everything else in an organization rallies behind that promise. All of a sudden, everybody's talking the same, believing the same. They can see that that vision the same, right? In the end, because of this promise, every, every, everybody's just rallying behind that. Once that's in place, then it's a matter of going out and elevating the quality of everything and making sure it's all consistent. It's all the same, right? Um, you know, following your brand guidelines, creating some brand standards and, and, and following that. It's so critical. And people don't understand some of the biggest successes that we've had with, with our customers is just when we bring all their supply chain together, when we bring all of their, you know, their sales reps together, making sure everything is unified and delivering the same vision. All of a sudden, it's, it's like these companies now, um, they're telling us, you know, one of our customers um, was going through this and they underestimated how large they actually were. And so we helped them bring their entire brand together. And now they just pitched, um, you know, they were at a trade show in Australia of all places, and they delivered this new unified message, bringing all three components of their brand together, you know, and, and putting it under one big promise. And all of a sudden, all their competitors have stepped up and taken notice that, you know, they, they're, they're an entirely different company now, the way they're presenting. And now it's like, maybe they were flying under the radar before, but now that all of a sudden they have this big unified global appeal to them, they're able to charge almost twice of what they were charging before for the same. Like, I mean, they've literally just doubled their bottom line by doing nothing more than just making sure they're, that they have the same brand message, the promise that they're delivering. And, um, and this was, this one happened really quick, but I mean, and we find that that's usually the biggest impact that companies have right off the bat. So, you know, that's what we refer to about looking global. When you can bring all that together, you know, and make sure it's all focused and aligned, mm -hmm. it's just, just by its very nature, um, you've increased the size of your company, whether anything's changed or not, other than your brand, you know, your brand messaging. Yeah. And I, I wasn't sure how you was going to answer that question because um, I was, I was actually thinking aesthetically, but actually it does come from the inside of the business really, doesn't it? Like it starts from everybody having the same consistent message. And yes. um, it is making me think of again uh, for um, a company that I used to work at. It was something that I, I tried to help with while I was at that company because they offered lots of different things, but not everybody know exactly what they offered. Yeah. So everyone was sell i guess kind of selling or explaining it in a different way different way and um something simple i did was like a little booklet that all new starters had when they first began uh, uh, when they first started at the company and we would go through that and they would understand exactly what did what and and what team did what thing and that simple thing aligned everybody internally exactly. and actually it helped a lot externally as well and um, so branding branding and graphic design it literally starts within the organization it really does right well and it's it's i mean by nature it's design right and and i mean yeah. we solve problems and we solve it you know being a designer you know when we started this business you know really it was just there was a designer Right now we've got everything from user experience designer to user interface designer to environmental de design has just become like, you know, it's, it's, it's almost a catchphrase at this point. Right. But ultimately 
Being a designer means you are responsible to solve a problem for the end user, right? And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's always going to be a graphic problem. Graphic in the end is how we deliver the visual component of this, but there's often a bigger problem. And I think that's, that's my most, that's the part about, I mean, although I'm going to be a a proud graphic designer until the day I die. And I, I'm going to be creating logos even for free in, in another 20, 30, 40 years. But, you know, um, the fun part isn't necessarily the design part. It's trying to solve that problem. And often in cases like this, um, you know, you solved it simply by this book and you aligned everybody by creating this book. That was a great, you know, unknowingly, you solved a huge problem for that brand. Um, so, you know, kudos to you. You know, you did what a designer should do, right? <laughs> As opposed to just being focused on, you know, like just the output, the design, you know, the spacing, yeah, yeah. the white space, the messaging. Sometimes I think designers get a little too wrapped up in the delivery where they should be first focusing on the problem that they need to solve. Yeah. And that's why I think it's interesting that you brought that up. So focusing on looking global isn't an aesthetic thing. It's, it's very much exactly. a perception thing as well. And I think that's the really fascinating thing to bring up and um you know something that graphic designers and creative people brand strategists and stuff like that can all um apply to these things cool so we've we spoke for about an hour and i actually think that's a good uh, point to wrap this up so um uh, massimo this has been absolutely fantastic it's been a really good uh, our chat and I, I really appreciate you coming on and I do want to direct people to the angry designer podcast um, that you are a co-host on yeah um, and uh, yeah go and check that out you know more of this type kind of thing with uh, you know you guys laugh a lot in your podcast <laughs> <laughs> well and again we take we do have um, sometimes too much fun, but it's always for the right reason. It's um, we need to we need to you know bring it down a little bit. Sometimes um, sometimes our our space is very serious, and people you know you can't have fun if you're serious all the time. And you know if you start realizing you know how many things we all have in common from you know our own design issues to our customer issues to just solving the problems, it's it actually can be kind of funny. And I mean sometimes yeah, it gets yeah. us riled up, of course, but you know we're. The idea you, you need yeah. to be angry on the angry designer podcast <laughs> <laughs> it needs a bit of like <laughs> a little bit right and some, some yeah, days yeah. oh some days we are holy cow sometimes sometimes <laughs> i go on rants and i can't stop but you know other times it's just it's passion led right and yeah, um, exactly. it's, it's nice to help people realize that they're not alone in this mission right i want I want people to be designing. I mean, we have a high burnout rate as designers, unfortunately. And, you know, and, and there's not many designers over the age. I, I, when they hit 40, it's just the numbers drop crazy, whether they're moving up or they're bouncing. And, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, burnout is a real thing. So what we're trying to, I mean, my goal would be to just to create more 25, 30, 40 year designers out there. You know, like I want everybody to be a Paul Rand and just, you know, kind of keep designing till your last day or a Massimo Vignelli. So, so hopefully we, we help people, you know, with a lot of their venting and, and they realize that um, they're not alone. <laughs> they're not alone. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a real pleasure to Ian, with you. And you. hopefully people will enjoy this uh, chat as well. I hope so. This, this, you know, again, based on the talent that you've had on here and the legends, this is an honor for me. So thank you for allowing me to come on the show. It's, this is amazing. If you want to learn more about Massimo and everything they're doing over at Z Factor, head to their website, zfactor.com. And also check out Massimo's podcast, The Angry Designer Podcast, which you'll find on your preferred podcast player. I'll link to that along with any resources that we spoke about in the show notes for this episode, which you can find by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash 145. And don't forget to take 30 minutes out of your day to create a mood board design and enter it into the perfect match to get a $50 gift voucher. And to learn more about that, head to theperfectmatch.co forward slash play and you could potentially win $1,000 for doing that. So thank you so much for listening. I will be back the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast. <laughs>